66 books, 1189 chapters, just over 33,000 verses at least in the Bible that we use, and yet you can possibly sum it all up in 30 words. 30 words that capture the central message of this sacred text. 30 words that summarize the heart of the Christian faith. 30 words that have grasped and learnt and owned and lived profoundly influence the state of your heart. And here at Windsor Baptist on Sunday mornings we're doing a series looking at the condition of our hearts. But 30 words that have turned lives upside down and impacted families and workplaces and communities and our world. 30 words that came from the lips of a human being who was searching for answers. 30 words that were endorsed by the one that so many of us sitting in this church this morning claim to follow. And therefore, when I show them, you're not going to be shocked by them because they're not new. They're not novel. They're familiar, maybe even too familiar. I want to ask you a question. How many people do you think want to live life to its full potential? How many people do you think in our society today want to live forever in paradise? Well, these 30 words also provide instructions to experience those two realities. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. I'm reading from Luke 10. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what have I got to do in order to live life to the full? What have I got to do in order to live life forever? And like most people today, here is someone asking questions and looking for answers. But instead of an answer, he gets at least two more questions. And that's often the way it works, doesn't it? That you ask, but you don't always get. And you question, and somebody comes back at you with more questions. And that was the way that Jesus often responded to people's questions. He asked them more questions. And so to this so-called expert in the law, he asked two questions. He said, what is written in the law? And secondly, how do you read it? And the answer that this guy gives is brilliant and it's completely right. And here are our 30 words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. There is the Bible in a nutshell. There's how to transform the state of your heart. There's how to discover eternal life. Because... Whenever the expert said these 30 words, Jesus replies rather simply, Do this and you will live. And you know, sometimes I wonder, have we unnecessarily complicated the Christian faith? Love God with your entire being and love others. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. But let's be honest, which is more difficult? Is it more difficult and more demanding to love God or to love other people? Generally, it's other people, isn't it? 
But at one level that depends on who the other people are because loving your family and loving your friends, well that's one thing, but loving the unlovable, loving the homeless alcoholic, loving the stranger, loving the person who winds you up and does your head in, well that's a different issue altogether. It's much easier to love God than to love those sorts of people. And yet we must, we must love God with all we've got, but we also must love others. We cannot separate the two. We cannot claim to be in a relationship with God and then treat others just whatever way we like. The expert in the law grasped the first part of these 30 words. The loving God dimension seems not to have caused him a major issue, but it's the second part he struggled with. The idea of loving his neighbour was a challenge to him and slightly unclear. And so he comes back at Jesus with another question. It's a great question. He says, Jesus, who is my neighbour? And in response, Jesus tells a story because we love stories. Stories connect with us. They draw us in. They engage our heart, engage our mind. They stir our emotions. People relate to stories. And so the story that Jesus told alongside the story of the prodigal son is probably the best known story that Jesus ever told. And so I would like us to read it together. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to pick it up in verse 30. And can I invite you to stand for the public reading of God's word. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going along the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled came where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and poured oil and wine on him and then he put the man on his donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper look after him he said and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have please take your seats And Jesus pauses as the implications of that story begin to filter through the minds of those who were hearing it for the very first time. And then Jesus asks another searching question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who lay at the side of the road? And in many ways it's it's a bit of a no-brainer because how obvious is that? Despite how uncomfortable the answer is, and despite the awkward implications that it brings with it, it's a very obvious answer. And so the expert says, it's the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus looks this man in the eye, and he says four words. Go and do likewise. Go and have mercy on others, the beaten up, the messed up, the people who are different from you, your so-called enemies, the vulnerable, the outcast, the weak, 
those on the fringes of our society. Go and do likewise. If you want to find life, you want to find life, you really want to find life, you want to address the state of your heart, then just love God and go and love other people. And I want to suggest to us as a congregation that this story invites us to go on three journeys. The journey from right answers and right beliefs to right practice. The journey from non-involvement to active compassion. And the journey from just a religion to a way of life. Three journeys that irrespective of how long you've been a Christian, you need to keep making. Because the danger of diversion is constant. I often, I often appear to lose my bearings on this Christian faith journey. I get so sidetracked that I lose what it's all about. Journey one, the expert in the law was encouraged to journey from right answers and right beliefs to right practice. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. Yes, that's the right answer. That's how you will inherit eternal life. That is what we believe all humanity should be about. But the challenge is to go from knowing it and believing it to doing it. Let me mention two words that I've no doubt I'll refer to on many occasions during my time here. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy means right belief. Orthopraxy means right practice. Do you know as Christians we believe we should love God? With all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We believe we should love our neighbour. We believe we are to go into all the world and share Jesus. We believe we are to be salt and light, flavouring and preserving and shining. We believe in justice. We believe we should care for the poor. We believe in loving our enemies. We believe lots of really great things. But the challenge lies in journeying from right belief to right practice. We must practice what we preach. The expert believed that the true neighbour of the victim in the story was the one who had mercy on him. And he was right, but Jesus didn't just leave it there. Jesus didn't just leave it at right answers. Jesus then says, go and do likewise. Go and do. It's not enough to believe. Go and do. Go and do. Jesus doesn't want there to be a glaring gap between these two. There needs to be increasing consistency, fewer contradictions. And I know I have said this before, but for me, that is one absolutely crucial aspect of discipleship. It's narrowing the gap between what we believe and how we behave. That's discipleship. Ensuring that the gap between what we believe and how we behave is getting narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower. That there are fewer and fewer and fewer inconsistencies. I believe we should love others. And in fact I'm convinced that the vast majority of us in this church believe we should love others. But here's the real question I must ask myself. What am I doing to demonstrate love for others? How does my day-to-day life actually reflect my beliefs? Because it's that that a watching world is looking for. And not only a watching world, but a loving God. Journey two. From non-involvement to active compassion. You see, essentially this story is about people not wanting to get involved with others in need. 
The priest and the Levite weren't up for the challenge. They weren't up for the risk of engaging with someone in need. But let's not be too hard on them. Because although they did nothing, there were decent reasons for doing nothing. For one, the body on the road could have been planted by bandits in order to lure other travellers into stopping, making them easy targets. And therefore the Levite and the priest did nothing because that might have ended up in them suffering as well. And secondly, we also know that if the guy lying at the side of the road was in fact dead, then contact with the corpse would have defiled the priest and the Levite from performing their duties in the temple according to the law. So they had at least two good reasons to keep walking. And do you know something? I can think of a whole stack of reasons why not to get involved in other people's lives. I'm too busy. It's really inconvenient. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. It may not be safe. Surely it's somebody else's problem. And anyway, I've got enough problems of my own. Non-involvement and the choice to walk past on the other side of the road is an attractive choice because it's a safe choice, it's the nice choice, it's by far the more comfortable alternative. But is it always an option for true Christ followers? Does Jesus not have some expectation that all Christians will be good Samaritans? Someone has put it like this, you cannot be a Christian. And not be involved with people in the Jericho Road. The Jericho Road where this guy was beaten up and left for dead was a notoriously dangerous stretch of the road between Jerusalem and and, and Jericho. We know that. It was steep. It was treacherous. It was known apparently as the way of blood. And the priest and the Levite might have thought to themselves, do you know this guy got what was coming to him? I mean, he should have taken a safer route home. He made a bad choice, and now he's suffering from his consequences, and I know that I often think like that. I look at someone in need, and I justify my non-involvement because I reckon, you know, it's partly their own fault that they're in that mess and they're in that condition. They've made bad choices, poor choices. They've made sinful choices, and now they've got to deal with their consequences. They've made their bed, so they've got to lie in it. And I'm not sure as followers of Jesus Christ that we have the luxury to do that. Because after all, we don't just help people because they deserve it. We help people because we love them. You see, there's no worthiness test for Christian love. We can't just stand back or walk past because we think that that person or these people don't deserve my love. And the reason that I say that is because as I look at Jesus, who's got to be my ultimate role model, I discover someone who loved without a cause. He saved because of his love and his mercy for no other reason. Are we guilty of sin? Yes, we are. Do we deserve God's judgment? Yes, we do. Did we deserve to be rescued from life without hope and eternity without God? No, of course we didn't. Of course none of us deserve that but Jesus rescued us anyway Jesus met our need our greatest need our need for forgiveness not because we deserved it but because he loved us 
And I think it's really interesting to note that we're told virtually nothing about this unfortunate guy in the story. We don't know his name. We don't know his occupation. We don't know whether he was rich, whether he was poor. We don't even know his age. Nothing. But that points to an important principle that love doesn't depend on any characteristic of the one being saved except their need. And we are surrounded by people in need in our homes, in our streets, our communities, in our workplaces. People with emotional needs, physical needs, social needs, spiritual needs. And the choice is simple. Either we walk past or we love. Either it's non-involvement or it's active compassion. And I think the story clearly illustrates that active compassion is the right choice, maybe the only choice for those who love God and love their neighbour. And in the story, Jesus says that when he, when the Samaritan saw him, he had compassion on him. Or in the version I read, he took pity on him. And what that implies is a deep, intense feeling of sympathy that affected this guy to the very core of his being. It churned his guts up, is what it means. And the crucial aspect of this feeling is that it doesn't just stop at a feeling, it drives him to sacrificial action. And that is what active compassion is. Feeling sorry for someone is not compassion. Jesus actually details in a series of six verbs, someone has pointed out, just how active this man's compassion really was. Note these, he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured oil and wine, he put him on his donkey, he brought him to an inn, he took care of him. So in every sacrificial action, the good Samaritan demonstrated compassion in practical and unselfish ways. And it's that example that Jesus says to the expert in the law. Go and do likewise. Become the owner of a truly compassionate heart. Don't just feel sorry for them. And the third and the final journey is from just a religion to a way of life. Christianity must never be mere ritual. It must become a lifestyle. It's that eight inch journey from head to heart. For the priest and the Levite... Uh, who would have been both familiar with the law, their faith was in danger of becoming head religion. Religion that lost sight of the fact that people matter. Christianity as a religion attends the meetings, sings the songs, prays the prayers, but never actually heads out onto the Jericho Road to love and serve and bless others. It's quite probable that the priest and the Levite were either heading to church or coming from church. But their faith was more of a duty than a lifestyle. Their heads were engaged, but their hearts were disconnected, cold and indifferent to the needs of the people that were staring them in the face. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's got to be head and heart. It's got to affect not just what you know, not just what you believe. It's got to affect how you live your life. So three journeys. But to make these three journeys, I'm nearly done. I believe you need three things. To go from right belief to right practice. To go from non-involvement to active compassion. To go from just a religion to a way of life. We need open eyes, open hearts and open hands. And I think it's really interesting to note, and you maybe have picked it up because I tried to emphasize it as I read the text together, that each of the travelers did have open eyes. All three of them saw the injured man. 
They weren't totally blinkered to the need, but merely seeing is never enough. We've got to take it to the next two levels, and it was only the Samaritan who did. It's only the Samaritan who opened his heart and opened his hands. It's only the Samaritan who demonstrates active compassion because he gets his hands dirty where he touches and he helps and he pays and he cares. And one of my biggest problems is I stop at the first stage. I stop at the seeing stage. I see the needs. I see the pain in people's lives. I see dysfunction. I see hopelessness. I see lostness, but I go no further. My heart, it seems, and my hands remain closed. And as we come to the end of the story, Jesus turns to the expert and he says, So which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert just replies, The one who had mercy. In other words, the one who went beyond the seeing. The one who went beyond right answers and right beliefs. The one who went beyond non-involvement. The one who lived the life and met the need. And so Jesus says those four four words again. Go and do likewise. And you know as we leave here and walk our Jericho roads this week. We're still invited to that level of engagement. The role model in this story has come to be known as the Good Samaritan. Jesus never called him that. He was just an ordinary guy who sees another human being in need, recognises him as his neighbour, and reaches out to help him. We will all see needs this week, but the challenge we face is to reflect the compassionate heart of the Samaritan. And can I just say something as as I finish this and as I pray? Whenever you look at something like this, it's really easy to feel guilty. And it's really easy to beat yourself up. And I've spoken this text so many times. And I've actually spoke this on a few occasions. And yet, and yet, it still seems to get stuck somewhere between my head and my heart. And so I I hope this has not been about sending anybody on a guilt trip because that's really easy to do. As I said last week, what it's really all about is us as a church and as individual Christ followers investigating the state of our hearts. Let me pray. Father, open our eyes this week to see the needs. Open our hearts to respond. And open our hands in whatever way is appropriate. And as we walk our Jericho roads, give us compassionate hearts that are prepared to keep making these journeys from right answers and right belief to right practice from non-involvement to active compassion and from just a religion to this becoming a way of life 
And that in doing this, we will discover life in all its fullness, which in some ways seems like a paradox. That we lay down our lives, and yet we find them. Help us to walk with integrity in our Master's footsteps. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.